Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. I'm Blake Brown, the college pastor at Stillwater Bible Church. You're joining us for our semester study of Philippians. Last week we saw humility of Christ portrayed for us, right? If you're in Philippians with, you, with us last week. He came with all the rights to be a king and um, to be in this glorified body, but he came down to serve instead. He humbled himself by becoming obedient and he was exalted for it. This morning we're going to see a verse that is misused a lot of times, I think. Um, we're just kind of misquoted. Sometimes used to say that we need to do works to be saved. Um, but I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll get started. So we are in Philippians 2, uh, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word or holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Philippians, uh, this letter that Paul wrote. I thank you that you um, just spoke through him when he's writing to these, these believers there. I pray this morning that as we look at your word and, look at, and we study uh, deeper into your word, that we would be able to apply it to our lives and be encouraged or convicted as needed. Uh, and that as I look at this, and I'm up here, I'm up here talking, it's not just me up here talking, but it's you speaking through me, and that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. I uh, pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Um, so, he begins, right? We, we saw last week, like I said, um, we saw Christ, the example of Christ um, that we have in him, of like to obey, right? To obey in a way that has humility. Uh, and so he says then, so then, my beloved, in verse 12, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, who is Paul writing to? The Philippian church, right? All the saints in Philippi. He's writing to the Philippian church. Um, what does Paul say earlier in the book, if you've been with us for a little bit, about what, they, what they're like, what they've done? They've been really helpful, right? They've been really faithful, actually. They've always been helping him. I think sometimes we, we skip over this um, idea in this verse, but it actually says that um, this, the Apostle Paul is saying, the Philippians have always obeyed. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, um, uh, not on my presence only, but now much more in my absence work at salvation, right? So there are not many people that I can say, like, they are always obeying, right? They're always just uh, faithful to obey. I couldn't say it about me, even. Bring this off. Um, so, this section that he has here is about obedience, ultimately. And it's going to be clear as we move through this, not just obey, but how to obey. Right? How to obey. So, the Philippians were an obedient group, ultimately. He talks about in chapter 1 um, that you know, they've, they've been partners in grace with him and stuff. And so... Uh, Paul wouldn't have written this, that like, you've always obeyed to the Corinthians, right? Probably not. They had some big issues to deal with, if you've ever read through Philippians, uh, or Corinthians. So, now like he says, just so you've always obeyed, so they've been faithful, not my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And so you, you can see how that would be a temptation, right? The spiritual leader is there, and you're like, everyone has to be tip-top shape, you have to be a, this, like, great person kind of thing. Um, and they leave, and you're like, okay, finally, right? Now I can kind of get lax on my obedience or what I'm doing, that kind of stuff. It's like, no, no, much more. Be obedient when I'm gone, too, right? Um, there are a lot of times, I remember when, you know, especially whenever you have a, uh, like a professor, right, and the class is all talking loud, and they leave the room, and the class gets louder. Maybe even high school, whenever you're like, you, they leave the room, and you're like, oh, talk, and they come back in, and everyone's like, oh. It's like silence, right, no matter what. What? <laughs> Apparently not too. Been a few years since then, so I don't remember that. But um, so he goes on and he says this. He says, uh, "Not much more my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." Right? God is the one who's working in you to will and to work for His pleasure. There's accountability we have to God. 
right? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, there's a reverence to him, right? There's an idea of reverence that we need to be reverent to him and who he is and everything. But also there's a fear, ultimately. God who created all things and with one word could snuff out all life in the universe um, with a word expects us to live in a certain way. Right? He's commanded us be humble, right? Obey these commandments. Go out and share the gospel. And this is the all-powerful God that's commanding, and it expects that of us. He's always there watching us how we live and is there working in us for his good pleasure. So I think sometimes this is just translated. People just say, oh, yeah, it's just this idea of reverence, and that's it. Um, but I think there's, there's, there's more to that, fear and trembling. Right? Now, we shouldn't go around with, like, waiting for God to strike us down or anything because um, we know that he, he does have grace. He has mercy. He's loving. And if he is doing anything, he's disciplining us to get us back on track. But there is an idea that this is the all-powerful God who expects us to live in a way that glorifies him. And we can do things that aren't pleasing to him. Right? We can rebel against God. And God doesn't automatically make us live right when we have faith. Right? If you believe in here, have you sinned after you've put your faith in Christ? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, probably. Yeah, all of us have. We have the flesh to deal with. Like I even, as long as we're here in our non-glorified bodies, we have the flesh to deal with. Jesus says in John fifteen five that if we abide in Him, we will bear much fruit, and apart from Him, we can do nothing. Right? So to abide in Him, and then we'll be able to bear much fruit and actually have this this fruitful life. But apart from Him, we can do nothing. If we're, if, we're, if we're rejecting him in our, in our daily walk, we're not going to be able to live that life. We're going to be sinning and rebelling against him. If we choose to walk in the flesh, we'll ultimately choose sin. We do things that aren't loving, that uh, harm us or those around us. Right? But it's God who is at work in us, both to will, right, so his desire within us, and to work. It's his power in us for his good pleasure. So it's His will. So as, as we're going through this, we, it's not our own will, right? Even, even Christ said that. He said, Father, Your will be done, not mine. And Christ is our example. He just talked about that. And we should, it's His will and His power, His work within us to live this Christian walk. Work out your salvation. It goes back to chapter 1. Paul actually says, I know He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He who began a work were completed until the day of Christ. He only said that back then because they had been faithful and obedient so far. He said, it's, I can be confident about this because you've been faithful this whole time. You've been partners in grace with me. You've been going through this whole time. So I'm confident that he's going to complete this work in you that he started. Now he says this now, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because they have been obedient so far. Continue in obedience. As I was there, even in my absence, Continue in obedience. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue in an attitude of fear. Remember, not terror, but fear. Don't forget who you serve and what is expected of you by him. Don't forget who you serve and what is expected of you by him. So we've been saved, if we put our faith in Christ, um, by God through Christ's death. Well, now God expects us to live a life of holiness now, not to just do whatever we want, uh, not to just do whatever the flesh wants us to do, not to just follow that pull that we have. Working out salvation with fear and trembling does not mean we have to do works to be eternally saved. Right? We know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one may boast. Right? So it's not as a result of works to be saved. The salvation we have, the eternal life salvation, was a gift of God. So he's saying that salvation you already have, right? Work it out. Keep going. It's like if someone, um, has anyone ever gotten like a, a gift before that was alive? Like a plant or, or a dog or a pet or something like that before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've gotten uh, before, I've gotten a, sorry, I'm going to get some water. A bonsai tree before as a gift. Um, I thought they were pretty cool, right? It's like this tree looks big, but it's little, right? So it's cool. Um, and eventually got messed up by these things called spider mites. You may be familiar with what spider mites are, but they kind of just, yeah, it was just not good. They'll die. Um, later, I got another one since that one had been 
messed up. Um, but take work. Right? You can't just like set it on the windowsill and be like, great, and then ignore it, right? Um, you have to make sure you water them, you cultivate them, and you water them enough, but not too much. Um, and make sure you have all the right size of pot and that the roots aren't over, all, all this stuff, right? So we as believers, we've received eternal life. We've received a gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit, and we've received it. And um, we're called to cultivate that once we have it. There's a next step called the sanctification process in our life. And we want to be made more and more Christ-like as we're here on earth. We're called to cultivate that, um, this salvation that we have here on earth before we die and Christ comes back. Right? So uh, I'm going to erase this real quick. Do something. So a lot of you have probably heard this before, but there's a thing called the sanctification process. Um, it's a three, not three steps, there's three parts of it. Um, I probably need more space. So does anyone know what the, um, if you've been here for a while, what number one is? Justification. Justification, right? So justification is all about our, our, our Christian life. And justification means to be declared righteous. Well, that's too far. <laughs> and I'm just going to put right because is it E O U S or I don't know. But, anyway. but declared righteous. <laughs> declared right. right. Um, so um, it's declared. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> cool. Um, wow. So I don't use the board very much. Uh, so, <laughs> declared righteous. What does it mean to be declared something? State it true. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. State that it's true. You're declared that this is a fact. And this happens the moment we believe. We are justified, is what it's called. So we are declared righteous. God sees us as righteous. Um, it's our faith in Christ, and we receive His righteousness. God sees us as righteous. So we're declared righteous at this moment we believe. And um, that happens then. And then what is the number two? Sanctification. Sanctification. Okay. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so, I get this one right? Um, sanctification. This is being made righteous. <laughs> so, being made right, right? Um, this is the process we have in our Christian life. This process of, of going through and trying to be, make this progress uh, not just a linear, right? Well, what is that? Not, not flat, right? <laughs> we want to be growing in our Christian life and growing, making more and more Christ-like and more and more righteous, being made more righteous in our life. Um, how, do we, how are we made more and more righteous and more and more spiritually mature in our life? Walking in the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, 16 says, um, but I say, um, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So walking in the Spirit, we're able to be made more and more Christ-like. We have the fruit of the Spirit there too. And so we're made more righteous the more we do that. Right? Okay, what's the last one? Glorification. Glorification, yes. And this is made righteous. So, this is when we are made right. This is when we are made pure. When we are made fully holy. Right? So here we are declared righteous. That happens the moment we believe. How many of us are perfectly righteous in our normal life? I'm getting a lot of no's. Um, so I'm assuming that means not. Um, so we're not, none of us, we actually still sin, right? Um, and sanctification is a process of trying to basically live in the spirit, right? And not live in the flesh and not live in that sin. We made more and more righteous. Glorification happens. And basically our, our this is our, so uh, this is our standing before God, right? 
he sees us. He sees us as righteous when God looks at us. We have Christ's righteousness in us. Then sanctification, though, this is our current state. So here on earth, in Oklahoma, the state, no. Um, here on earth, our state is not righteousness, right? We have sin still. We're trying to make, make, make more and more righteous, but we are not fully righteous. Glorification happens whenever our standing and our state come together and we are righteous. This happens the moment we die or whenever um, Christ comes back, right? That's when we are glorified. We're glorified. There is no more flesh. There's no more sin in our lives. We are glorified. So, does that make sense? Any questions there? You guys have uh, the Silver Bible have uh, the scripture passages that they have that uh, go along with it? Yes. Um, there are a lot of passages that go along with this. I don't have them in my notes this morning, but I have them in a different yeah. thing there. Um, we're going to look at one today that doesn't do deal with all three of these. I mean, I, I kind of already said one, right? So sanctification, this is um, Galatians 5.16 um, or John 15.5. Right? Walk in the Spirit, uh, the idea of abiding in Christ. And then through that, you're able to actually do these good things through this life, even after salvation. Um and then um, we're going to look at one today. So uh, Romans 8 actually says that um, those whom God justified, he also glorified. Right? Those whom he justified, he also glorified. In that passage talking about this, um, what two things are promised? Justification and glorification. This isn't there, right? Sanctification is not something that we see promised to us. In fact, if we go through Scripture, sanctification is not promised to us in Scripture. And so these two things, right, we're justified, and it's like, boom, you will be glorified. 100%. That's going to happen. This, well, this is up to us, right? This is why it says, walk in the Spirit. These are commands given to believers to walk in the Spirit. This is a command given to believers to abide in me, and that's how you're going to bear fruit, right? And so those who are guaranteed sanctification is not so like you said, John 15, or Galatians 15, Galatians 5, 16. Um, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We're commanded to live in a certain way. We didn't take that command seriously. Don't live in the flesh, because God is the one who's working in us and through us. This command is given by God, and He expects us to live in a certain way. So, while this isn't promised... Um, we take it seriously, right? We need to try. We need to, to abide in Christ, and that's how we're able to live a life of fruitfulness. Next, Paul addresses the attitude we need to have as we serve. Philippians always served, right? He said, you've always served. You've always been faithful. I know that he's going to complete this work in you that he started. But now Paul looks deeper at their attitude while serving. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I can just end there and be like, all right. Application, everything for the week, go, right? So maybe you're a bang, right? He says, okay, maybe you're a bang. You're faithful. You're always doing stuff. You're always serving. But maybe whenever your responsibilities come up, responsibilities come up in church or as a believer, you always answer the call. But are you complaining about it? Right? Are you grumbling about answering this, this call for obedience? Don't be obedient while grumbling and disputing about it. Obey with a glad heart. Ultimately, God doesn't want you to obey if you're bitter about it. On the other hand, God doesn't want you to stop obeying because you realize you're bitter. Right? So here's the balance. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about the giving of money. Right? And he says, Each one must do as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It says the, the sacrifices of God in Psalm 51, when David's um, writing about it, are a broken and a contrite heart. So he, that's what he desired. That's what he wants us to do is have this broken and contrite heart and come to him and be a cheerful giver of our service, of our time, of our money. <coughs> he wants us to serve with a heart of love and gratitude. Sometimes we don't feel like doing it. Right? We don't have the love and the gratitude um, that we feel like should come with service, that we should come. I think God rewards us even when we're faithful when we don't feel like being faithful. Right? And there's rewards for that.
Um, but he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. We're going to expand on that a little bit, a little bit more as we go into this next section here. So look at um, 2, 15, and 16. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. The reason, Paul says, don't do things with grumbling and disputing. Right? So grumbling, this idea that you're complaining about everything and disputing, right? making divisions among yourselves and, and arguing, this idea actually um, disputing is kind of this, this word for, um, has an idea of debating, right? Debating on back and forth on what should, what should happen, that kind of stuff. Um, the reason you shouldn't do all that is so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God who are above reproach. If you're serving and you're faithful, um, but you're doing it with this really wicked heart and you're just like, oh, I hate serving, right? I'm here, no one else is, right? I'm the one serving all the time and no one else is here kind of thing. And you're making that, like you're grumbling about it. People can accuse you of being like, they don't really want it. They, they're not really faithful, right? But you can be above reproach if you're not grumbling, not disputing, causing dissensions within each other. Um, what does grumbling about something accomplish? Bitterness. Bitterness. Right. What does that accomplish? I did not hear what was said. <laughs> hatred. Hatred. What was Yeah, hatred. What does that accomplish? If you're trying to obey and serve and do something. Nothing, right? Ultimately, you're not going to get any farther by complaining, by grumbling, by anything. There's no fruit in it at all, right? What is disputing or debating accomplished when there's a job to be done? Division, right? Division, hard feelings. It makes it take longer, probably, trying to do something, try to accomplish something. We, as, as, as believers, are in the unity of the body of Christ, to come together and strive together in unity of mind, right? Talked about how a few weeks ago we went over in Philippians 1, you know, have one purpose, intent on one purpose, have unity of mind, unity of purpose, unity of life. And if you're disputing and you're grumbling, then it's not going to go well, right? You're going to cause divisions, and now you're going to be fighting against each other instead of getting one purpose in mind. And um, the job you're trying to do, right, isn't going to work well because you may have a whole bunch of people who are all... Um, ears and eyes in the body and all the hands and feet are over here you have different opinion and stuff and coming together you can't do it because you're divided does that make sense okay so those things don't accomplish anything good grumbling accomplishes nothing and disputing makes it take longer it causes division and it's not you're not as effective in that um now there are some things that maybe we should we should talk about with other believers like we shouldn't just ignore everything for the cause of unity right if someone's like well the trinity nah right i don't believe that one god that's it kind of thing uh and one there's not three persons or like not jesus it was just god right? and it's like well that's a big issue right there's a lot of implications with that just talk about that but ultimately those people put their face in christ our unity is in what is in who christ right <laughs> unity is in christ and that's what we're called to be unified under and serve under. Doesn't mean we just ignore everything else, but we're still called to unify, even if they have differences in theology. Yeah. So, um, and then it says this: so that um, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. People can't blame you of doing all these things. Your children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The generation of Philippians was one not of godliness, right, in this area. Um, our generation, is it one of godliness? No? Now, this is the worst time it's ever happened in the history of the world. No, not really. Probably. But, um, but like, it's not one of godliness either, right? Not at all. Um, we have people who want debates just to, just to happen, right? They just want to debate for debate's purpose, to cause disputes just for disputing purpose. People who love to join together as they complain about something or complain about people even. How do we as college students or workers and that kind of stuff sometimes complain and get caught in that trap? Do we join in when others talk bad about someone? 
or a professor, a TA, political leader, whatever it may be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I was a college student, and um, it's easy to complain about, man, that exam, what do they think they're doing? This doesn't make any sense. It's too hard. They gave us this homework that was super easy. The exam was super hard, right? I rather had the hard homework, easy exam. But then if I had the hard homework, I would have been complaining about the homework, right? Like, <laughs> complain no matter what. Um, and it's easy to try to find the sense of unity within complaining, within grumbling. <coughs> but... <coughs> We want to be, we want to appear as lights in the world, right? And so how do we sometimes love to bring up disputes? That's the complaining part of it, what are disputing? Arguing our point on a matter that really has no lasting value sometimes, right? When we don't grumble about things, about people, and when we don't dispute with others for disputing sake, right? but we're faithful to serve and to love God and all that we do, that makes a difference. People see that difference. I was a, like I said, I said like three times already, but I was a college student, um, and realized the contagiousness of complaining. People start complaining, people join in on it, they unify under it, they're like, yeah, this does suck, right? This person is awful about doing this and stuff. Um, and I also realized the contagiousness of joy within work. If you're truly joyful and like, this is like, yeah, it sucks, right? But like, I'm going to keep going in it. And I'm learning. I'm blessed to be here. All these things. I don't deserve to be here, right? It's a gift of God that I'm even here. Um, so I'm still going to go through it in an attitude of thankfulness and an attitude of praise to God. And that's contagious as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 18, it says this. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Sometimes we can get caught up and be like, yeah, I can rejoice in, in some circumstances. Right? Well, yeah, I can, I can sometimes pray you know, before I eat, at least. Right? Um, or I can, I can you know, give thankfulness sometimes when things are going all right. But it says to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We can get down and have really hard times doing even one of those three things, right? Rejoice, pray, or thank, be thankful. Let alone all three. The good news is, this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for us. And if we pray and ask Him to give us these things, truly seeking Him and wanting these things, I think He'll give it to us. Right? He'll give us an attitude of, of prayer, an attitude of rejoicing and thankfulness. It's not an easy fix, right? It's not like you pray and like, I am joyful, I am thankful, and I am praying all the time, right? No, it's a sanctification process, right? Being made righteous. If we're seeking Him and we're praying to Him for this stuff, I think it'll, it'll, it'll eventually happen. But it's not quick and easy fix. We need to rely on God to get through this crazy fallen world without complaining or disputing. Rely on Him to be joyful and prayerful and thankful. Um, in the same way, right, um, this pointed out to me because I noticed it but didn't really emphasize it. But in verse 14, like up there, it says, do some things without grumbling or disputing. No. It says, do things when you're around unbelievers without grumbling or disputing. Do things just when you're in the church around all the good people, right? Without grumbling. No. Do all things in every part of life without grumbling or disputing. That's hard, right? There's a purpose behind it. So that you'll appear blameless, innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of this per, uh, crooked and perverse generation, among whom you, you appear as lights in the world. How many of us want to appear as a light in this world? We'll have at least six or seven lights, so it'll be good. <laughs> no, right? We all want to do that, to be this, this light in the world. So let's follow what Paul has to say. Let's follow what God has commanded us to do. Obey in the same attitude as Christ. We saw no grumbling or disputing in him during this crucifixion, right? during his obedience to God the Father. Let's live in a way that shows uh, people that we have a joy and a spirit that is not found in the darkness of the world, but come down, has come down from the Father of lights, who's a source of everything good. Right? 
Then Paul says something interesting. Okay, look. It says, um, it says to hold fast to the word of life. Right? Hold fast to the gospel, the word of life, gospel, in the midst of this perverse generation, so that he, I, he says, will have a reason um, to glory, right? Uh, because he did not run or toil in vain. Hold fast to this. So that I don't. I don't I have a reason to glory when Christ comes back, right? Um, in the day of Christ, the day of judgment, when he when he's examined by Christ, I will not. Have, oh, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. If Paul were to work and toil and pour his life into the Philippians and try to train them up for their sanctification and their maturity in Christ, and then they just acted like the world, right? They were grumbling all the time. They were disputing. They weren't lights. All the effort he did would sort of be in vain, right? It's like, I poured myself out for you guys, and then you just live for the flesh, right? So Paul switches here from looking at Christ as the example to looking at all the effort he's put in himself to the, Christian, or to the Philippians, for the Philippians church. Run the race, he's saying, obey so that, um, run the race and obey so that when I stand before Christ to give an account, I have reason to glory because you followed my instruction, the instruction that I got from, from God. Right? But Paul doesn't stake his spiritual success on the Philippians. He doesn't say, like, if you don't do well, then I'm just going to, well, that's it. I'm done. Kind of thing. Like, no, this is all worthless. He continues. Let's look at verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice, and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So Paul says, I don't want to run in vain, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, I rejoice. A drink offering is something the priests would do after the offering of a lamb or a ram or a bull. I think it was at the very end. It was the last thing in the sacrificial process. They had poured out wine in the drink offering. It, uh, this offering symbolized the dedication of the believer to God and worship. That this symbolized. Um, so, also, I have a question. Where is Paul writing this from? Jail. Yeah. It's a prison epistle. Prison under house arrest, what is what it is, awaiting trial. Um, what are the two options for Paul's liberation from prison? Death or freedom. Death or freedom, right? Which, you know, got both. To live as Christ, to die as gain comes from this, from this, um, this letter, right? So he's saying he has two options: <coughs> be released and be able to go and serve more, to live as Christ, or to die as gain. He'll be with his with his Savior. And he said, actually, to die, which is very much better. Right? So he's like, that'd be great to be with Christ. But he says, I think I'm going to keep on going with y'all. But he says, he has these options in his mind. And he's, we've seen him kind of weigh this back and forth earlier. But he's saying that even if this is the end, the end of my living sacrifice that I've had, and I'm a drink offering now, and this is it, um, for the Philippians, then he rejoices. He's labored for the Lord. The truth is, Paul may not see fruit from the Philippians in two ways. He may not see it because he'll die soon, right? He's going to be dead. Won't see any fruit from them. And he may not see it because the Philippians may not be fruitful, right? He may run in vain, as he says, kind of, in, in verse uh, 17. Which is kind of unlikely, right? He said he's very confident that they're going to be faithful because they've been faithful this entire time. Um, but... Either way, he knows he's not working to see the fruit. Right? He's not working to see the fruit. He's laboring for God. He has his eyes set on God and on Christ. That's what he's working for. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The truth is, when we're laboring for God, when we're serving Him, we know that our toil, our work is not in vain in Him. He will work through us and it's not in vain. We can feel like it's in vain, can't we? We can get tired of serving, tired of always being ready to give a defense for the hope that we have within us, tired of being considered such a goody-two-shoes because we follow what the Bible says. 
if we're living for Christ, He rewards us for it. Paul is looking for this reward, and he's confident that he's lived his life as a sacrifice to God. So how are we doing? Is our life a living sacrifice? Are we looking to Christ as our example of how to live and how to obey in humility of mind, considering others more important than ourselves? Is our, living, is our life a living sacrifice where we're being poured out for others and for Christ? Or are we always seeking to be filled? Are we constantly focused on our own interests, our own, our own desires? Do we serve anyone else or always look to our own interests to be filled? <coughs> Paul said, no, he, he commanded the Philippians to rejoice in the same way that he does. Rejoice in the suffering that they'll have. If you remember, he said, it's granted to you um, in Christ not only to have basically eternal life, but also to suffer for his name's sake. Just as you've already seen in me, already seen in Paul. So he, they know that they're going to suffer in some way. They're told him that. Um, so rejoice in suffering in the same way Paul does. Rejoice in the suffering they'll have because they know that there's not vanity to live for Christ. Right? There will be. It's not just vain. It's not just you're laboring and you're suffering through it and you're rejoicing through it for no purpose. But there is a purpose. He says, share that joy with Paul. Right? It goes back to Paul calling them partakers of grace, right? fellow partners in the gospel. They're all partners in ministry. We're all part of the body of Christ. There is not a single person that is not called to ministry. To share the gospel and serve Christ within their own lives. Now, not everyone is called to full-time ministry as a, as a pastor or as a missionary. Because like, then where did the world go, right? The rest of the world will just fall to ruins because no believers. Um, but um, we're called that wherever we're at, share the gospel to make disciples right? within our own lives. Let's make sure we understand the enormous gift of grace that God gave us uh, for eternal life. Right? We placed our faith in Him and He gave us the free gift of eternal life. And that we truly would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We know that God is the one who's working in us. God is working in us and through us and He has expectations for us to follow. Um, so we work out our salvation in sanctification, in sanctification with fear and trembling. Know who is the one that works in us and what he expects of us. Right? Make sure we're not obeying with complaints on our tongue, right? just ready to complain at the first drop of a hat. In fact, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This will prove you to be blameless and innocent, above reproach in the midst of this awful generation of people. We can be lights of the world, or we can look like the world's darkness. We can be imitators of the world, or we can be imitators of Christ. Are we having the same attitude as Christ or the world? Um, so what are we going to do? I'll tell you. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Right? Hold fast to that and live for Christ. Paul is an example of this living sacrifice who rejoiced even in suffering. So, how's the application? I don't have anything else, but I have application. Pray to God to help him instill in us a healthy understanding of who he is in all aspects. Right? He's loving, but he's also just. He's gracious, he's also powerful, and he's expectant for us to live in a certain way. Um, to do that, pray to him to help us instill in us a, f a healthy understanding of who he is in all of his aspects. Um, secondly, Let's live our lives in a different way than the world. Right? What way is that? Don't grumble and dispute, right? In this passage, talk about that. What should we try to live like? Right, the church answer. Jesus. Live like Jesus. Don't complain or dispute. Instead, go to God for joy and thanksgiving. It's the will of God for you in Christ is to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. So go to Him for that. Okay. Any questions? Or anything we've gone over? Thing to me is whenever like, you're told not to grumble or dispute there in all things, joyful and all that. Well, the hardest thing for me is when I'm being wrong, right? Or or something unjust is happening. I think a song that says there's a time for all things, and so it's like there is a time to um, say or state your position and be like, 
got it was unjust. But that doesn't shouldn't take the form of just grumbling and spewing and getting punches, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think about that a lot because it's easy for me to just someone sins against me in some way, it, it wrongs me in some way, and then I just kind of grumble, right? And I just sort of am out of fellowship as a result of it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not being loving, and I'm like, oh, if someone's spiritually immature, and you know, blah 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 blah, and then I'm acting in a very spiritually immature manner. So that's something I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, this idea of us being wronged, and it's like, well, I deserve to be treated a different way, right? Like, this is bad. This is wrong. And then you look at Christ, right, or even Paul, and how he was treated. Why is he in prison? Preaching the gospel, right? Like, he's just sharing the gospel, and he's in prison, and they're deciding whether to kill him or to let him go. Right? And so... Um, People, like, he was wrong <laughs> a lot, and yet he was rejoicing in this. He's like, look what the cause of what's happened. People are out there sharing the gospel even more now, right? And even if some of them are doing it actually out of the wrong motives, right? They're doing it out of envy and strife, some of them out of love. But he's like, the gospel's being shared, right? And I'm actually sharing with the Praetorian Guard, people who are here, who are going through. And so um, we have the, this idea that, like, you know, we think we've been wronged. And then we're not, you know, on trial to be killed because we share the gospel with people. Right? Um, and it goes out the same way, right? Are we concerned for our own interests or the interests of others? Ultimately. But yeah, you have a good point. There's, there's like, there's a, there's a time when we need to stand up and be like, okay, now this, this isn't right. This isn't just in what's happening. But grumbling or disputing causes isn't the best with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know when we are wrong, usually the last person we talk to about it is the person. Mm -hmm. But scripture commands us that that's the first person we go to. Yeah. And if that person recognizes that they were wrong, then you don't talk to anyone else about it. Yep. The, the buck stops there. Um, One thing that I appreciate that JB does is that people sometimes come to him as the head pastor, and then they're just like, this person did this wrong, and they're sinning. And he's like, whoa, 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 have you talked to them yet? I'm like, well, no, I'm coming to you because you're the pastor. He's like, no, no, no. Go to them, right? Talk to them about it. That's the biblical way is approach the person in love and in respect, but also saying, hey, this is not good, right? And then there's a, there's a process actually laid out in Scripture. It's really nice that, like, church discipline is laid out for us. Like, here's how you do it. Uh, a lot of times it doesn't go that way, but it should, right? We should go to that person who's wronged us first. So, yeah. so what are ways, we have a few minutes here, so what are ways that we forget who God is during a normal week? Ways that we forget who God is during a normal week. You just kind of think of like your your life is kind of sometimes you'll just go, yeah, he doesn't really have time for me or something. Mm -hmm. This is just a small thing I can handle it myself. You don't bring him in in prayer or anything like no. that. You're just trying to get it done by yourself, not thinking about that if you rely on God, it will be much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What percentage of things on that? Topic. Does John 15 5 say we can do apart from Christ? None. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? You are worthless without me. No. But like, right? <laughs> apart from me, you can do nothing. But it takes abiding in Him. And sometimes we think, ah, oh, well, I can do this, right? The big things in my life, that's what I need to go to God with. Because you know, He's so busy and He's so nice, such a head of everything. But like, you know, so I need to go to Him for these little things. I can take care of that. But ultimately, because God is infinite and because he is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, um, knows everything, all-powerful, he's everywhere, he wants us to go to him in every single thing. Right? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Oftentimes we get caught up with like, okay, yeah, but like for my big things, I'll go to God with it, but these little things are whatever, who cares? Kind of thing. I'll do with it. So, yeah, good point. What are other ways? One would be uh, when it comes to Bit of life at work is that you, you know, you got all, especially if you're in the bigger companies, like you know, all the big bosses and the economy and everything, they're working with that, they're doing their own agenda, they're working their company, they're deciding how much you work, where you work, what manner you work, and everything. And it's very easy to forget that God is in control of all of it as well. Yeah, we know that um, God doesn't want or like everything that all the CEOs do <laughs> uh, and stuff, definitely. But we know that um, for those who love God, 
um, that he call, works everything together for good. Um, so we know that you know if we're just faithful to him, no matter what situation we're in, he'll work it together for our good. Um, how do we change ways that we forget about who God is? In certain ways, we might perceive him throughout the week, but how do we change that? So we talk about walking in the Spirit a lot, and I think, I mean, obviously that's hugely important, but I think it sounds really easy. Like, it's like, oh, I'm going to walk in the Spirit, and then you just don't. And I think walking in the Spirit takes discipline. Mm -hmm. Like, it begins with you choosing to walk in the Spirit. And so remembering throughout the week to walk in the Spirit sometimes is a very practical thing, like sending, like setting a reminder on your phone or forming habits, forming those disciplines that prompt you to walk in the Spirit. So if that looks like at 11 a.m. every day, I set aside 10 minutes to pray, or before I go to bed, I set aside time to memorize scripture. Like, it has to be extremely practical because we get so busy, and things that aren't explicitly God-centered suddenly become very me-centered. And so if you make a habit in everything, to discipline yourself, to involve God, then it becomes natural. Then it's like, okay, I'm walking in the Spirit, and every part of my life is steeped in Him. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it definitely takes discipline. We see First Corinthians ten thirteen talks about how um, no no temptation has overcome you that is common to man, and God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. To, to, to bear basically, but will always give you a way of escape um, th- through it basically, so that you may escape it. And it has this idea of um, the idea of escape is like when an army is trapped within like a valley and there's one pass out to get out, and they're being attacked. Maybe there's one way out, but they have to choose to go that way, right? God gives us a way of escape. But I don't know about you, but there's been times where I was like, oh, there's the escape. What escape? And then just go into sin, right? And I'm just like, well, no, right? It takes like, hey, I'm walking in the spirit. I see the escape. I can take that route. But if I don't have the discipline there, then I can still choose to sin. Give us the power to choose to use that escape when we're walking in the spirit. We still need the discipline, right? Now, it can become legalistic. We can be like, well, I pray, and I memorize scripture, and I read my Bible, and I post on 12, and I'm good. All right, 12 is our here's a, uh, plug. We have an app um, where you can... There's, you basically, all you do is this, it's an accountability to read the Bible each day. And you just post a picture of what you read, and you can post comments and stuff as well, but you just do that, and you're in a group with other people, and you, if you get like three notifications or four notifications that day, people have posted, it reminds you, right, to like, hey, I need to read, to post something and stuff, so. Cool, but yeah. Yes? while ago you were like yes uh, I was just saying um, being consistent about like choosing to study the word and choosing to pray mm-hmm. ultimately right we're transformed by the renewing of our mind um, it says that uh, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove the will of God is that which is good and true perfect that's what it is I give yourself a will perfect and so um, yeah being in the word and prayer and having him transform us um, by him not by the world um, there's this, uh, JB always says, if you're not being consciously transformed by God, then you will subconsciously be conformed to something else. So if you're not s- consciously being transformed by God, you will subconsciously be being conformed to something else. There, but yeah. Last thing. Um, 
also just remembering that all things are by him, through him, and for you. So oftentimes we treat, whether it's class or work or whatever, we treat it as like, I've got to get through these things and then I can get back to the Bible or I can tear away to pray. Um, and so we, we create these stark divisions between the common and the sacred. But uh, the, the, whether it's making music, that's a beauty that God's made, you know, or if you're doing engineering, like just the fact that the math works mm-hmm. is a testimony to the incredibleness of God. Well, sometimes it works. But yeah, I mean, even just the privilege of getting to build something and yeah. um, maybe college isn't like you haven't built anything yet, but you're developing the skills in order to be able to do it. And those things are by him, through him, and for him. Yeah. And so um, we can become, we're prone to escapism, where I'll do my tasks and then escape away to spend some time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but redeeming the, the mundane things and recognizing that they're sacred. Yeah, to him. Definitely. So let's make sure that we, we understand that we're called to obedience right, by God. And that it's not just in... Our, our, our church events, our church, our biblical time, right, kind of thing. But do all things without complaining or disputing, too. Um, and let's encourage each other and remind ourselves to turn to God when we want to complain. Right? Encourage others. If you see others complaining, like, hey, right, God's good, though. Right? Like, you've been given so much. You've been given so much from Him. So let's turn to Him in, in attitude of thanksgiving at this point um, and stuff. And so let's live in our lives in a way that glorifies God. And look at the examples of Christ. Look at the example of Paul as as a living sacrifice that he is to God. And um, let's just live in a way that glorifies him. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your passage uh, of this letter that you wrote through Paul. Philippian church and that we're able to study it now and glean so much off of it and apply it in our lives. I pray, God, that we wouldn't just have this theoretical applications that we talked about today, um, but that we would go forth and live in a way that, that does glorify you, that does honor you, that does um, that it, we, we would obey you and the attitude um, that, that, that Christ, that you obeyed the Father. And so, I thank you so much for the examples that we have of Christ and of Paul. Um, and later on, the examples that we have of, of, in this passage of Timothy going forward and stuff. And so I pray that we would see them and be encouraged to live in a way um, where we wouldn't be grumbling or disputing, but that we would always be focused on you in all things that we do, God. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.